Spinning Audio Podcast. It's about music and how it enriches our lives. Each episode will focus on a single album and how it impacted our perspective on life and love. Welcome to episode one. This is our love letter to Black Celebration by Depeche Mode. I hope you love it as much as we do. You know, I, I love music so much, and it was so important to me as a kid. Oh, it was critical. Yeah. I, I, the, I got a Walkman, you know, and when, when that happened, it, it kind of privatized. It made, it made things your, it made it yours. You could listen to what you wanted to. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, so, like, they were monitoring everything, and once <laughs> headphones were introduced into the mix, oh, my God, it opened a, it opened a uh, and that's when you got your me. first Wasp album. Yeah, just yeah, just I could listen to Wasp <laughs> and my Poison albums. Yeah. No, I got walk. I I got a Walkman the, for the first time when I went to London in 1982. Oh wow! And my dad got me the Walkman. And he said, "All right, pick out any four cassettes that you want to bring with you." So I got Soft Cell, Tainted, the Nonstop Erotic Cabaret album. I got Depeche Mode, Speak and Spell. I got the Cure's Pornography album. And then the odd one out was uh, the first album by the band Girl School. I don't know if you know them. They were yeah. kind of like the female Motorhead <laughs> nice. of, the, of the era. That's funny. And uh, yeah, they were the odd one out for sure. But when we, we landed at Heathrow and then we were taking the train into London, it's like dreary, overcast, rainy. And I, I'd saved the pornography cassette for that moment. I hadn't listened to it yet. I didn't know what it sounded like. Put it in. Right as we get on the train, I got my headphones in, and that's what I listened to on the way into London. And it was like, it couldn't have been more, I mean, stereotypical, I guess, but nice. also like quintessential. That's great. <laughs> I, um, I, I had the, ten- it was hard to like, it was hard to get my own tapes at the time. So I would get blanks and I would make mixes. Oh, I did a lot off of, of the radio. Oh, constantly. I a lot of those, yeah. I, um, there's a, I'm from Southeast Texas, so the, um, the tastemakers were MTV, and then there were two separate radio stations. One was predominantly uh, rock, rock-driven, rock you know, um, a lot of butt rock. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one called B95, and they would play some, some of that stuff, but also, you know, new wave, like modern modern music in for 1985 and also mm-hmm. some some you know burgeoning uh hip-hop artists nice. so you know i remember making a mixtape with you know we like the cars the cars that go boom <laughs> la trim la trim yes i um, think i might have that on 12 inch vinyl <laughs> i might you're my hero <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so i as far as jj fad no, yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Tricky, D- uh, Run DMC. Oh, of course. I played I definitely the crap have some out of DMC. Yeah. Some early L Cool J, Beasties. Although, I have to tell you, as far as the Beasties go, don't the Beastie me you Boys. Don't like the Beastie Boys. I love the Beastie Boys. Okay, um, but that three record, Paul's Boutique, mm-hmm. Check Your Head, Ill Communication is my sweet spot. Oh, absolutely. I feel like there's a downward trend. Once you get past cell communication, not significant, but yeah, I get. Yeah, I'm with you. That's yeah. definitely their their peak. Yeah, their their high water mark as far as uh, creativity with them goes. I really, I really feel like Paul's boutique and Check Your Head are both. Mm-hmm. You know, 
both just amazing albums. So I, I definitely love Ill Communication. But as far as exposure to, <clears throat> to synth pop and like the second, or the, what is it, the second wave or third wave of um, British invasion artists right. you know, with synth pop people, um, I remember 82 and hearing Yazoo mm-hmm. and hearing Don't Go. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember where I heard it. I may, I think my aunt, who is my mom's, you know, younger sister who was hip and cool and I think that she she may have played that uh, I don't I don't just don't recall where I heard it but I remember it being like this cosmic shift in my head because at the time I was like seven or eight. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh I was born in seventy five. Alright. And uh it was definitely just this change. And it was but it was really palatable because it the instruments were were new and mm-hmm. technologically advanced and all that, but the lyrics were really palatable because they were basically R and B songs. Right. Alison Moyet is just you know, yeah, she's an R and B singer. Yeah. Now okay. you heard that before you heard Depeche Mode. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and then around eighty five, people are people. All right. Heard that, um, that single, and I don't recall the other single. Off of construction time again. Uh, everything counts. Everything counts, which is still one of top five. Oh, absolutely. DM songs for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess as far as on the on the topic of Depeche Mode, which we were talking about, Black Celebration, their album from 1986. Um, as far as the evolution of the band, I feel like one, Vince Clark, who formed Yazoo. Um, once he left the band, Alan Wilder came in, mm-hmm. and it took him a while. Although I think wasn't there a gap in between? He, I don't think he replaced him instantly, did he? No, no. But they they were they brought him. But they at some point they brought him on, him on right after Construction Time Again was yeah, um, or a Broken Frame. I'm sorry. Right. A Broken Frame was finished, and Alan Wilder actually didn't play on that at all, but he was on the the subsequent tour. I feel like it took him a couple of a couple of albums or some recording and some touring to kind of start to evolve a little bit. And I think that Construction Time Again is the last album that sounds that has Vince Clark's fingerprints on it as far yeah. as influence. Well, yeah, it's more pure synth pop. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think as Alan Wilder got more comfortable, maybe Martin Gore released a little bit more control, mm-hmm. and they became a little bit more cohesive. They started to move in a darker direction that that solidified the direction they were going to eventually go in yeah. you know all the time but yeah and then for me black celebration just is like you know nails that it's like I hit agree. it out of the park yeah i i you know just kind of digging deep i i have always had the perspective of a of, of a super fan and all that you know i've just really so i think as a fan you have the emotional attachment to things and you start to develop your own opinions and when Alan Wilder left after Songs of Faith and Devotion, you know, obviously that's way far in the future, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of the impact he had. He brought, he's, he's an, a crazy, amazing uh, arranger. And so they became more orchestral. Um, their, their arrangements became much more um, complex. Mm-hmm. And they, like you said, they moved away from the synth pop. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the first couple albums, you know, are basically like you can easily understand how they created those albums. It's just, you know, a couple of keyboards, a mm -hmm. sequencer, a drum machine, and it's very straightforward. And then once Alan Wilder really started to make his mark, their albums got very complicated. It's not quite the right word, but like very like hard. Like you couldn't just sit down and say, oh, yeah, I know how. I know how to make this song and, and just plunk it out on a couple of keyboards. Like there were so many textures and sounds and noises and effects and, you know, very, like you said, orchestral. Yeah. It was, he was, he was kind of a composer and I really, I didn't realize, I wasn't aware of how, how much of an influence he had, but from what I've, I've read, he did the arrangements mm -hmm. and Martin Gore did the lyrics. He wrote right. the songs. So a lot of the dark subject matter, um, that's wrapped around Alan Wilder's his his compositions really kind of gelled on Black Celebration, right. and, and I have never heard of a more appropriate title to an album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Black Celebration, yeah, it was released on March seventeenth, nineteen eighty six, and um, Depeche Mode, who was really popular at that time, maybe not too much in the US, maybe a little bit of popularity. They weren't global superstars, which I think Violator is what turned them into that, right. you know, just beyond their wildest dreams. They consisted of Alan Wilder, Andrew Fletcher, David Kahan, and Martin Gore. Um, this album, like I've, it's been so long since I've done a deep dive on it because it was, it was one of those ones that just was in the headphones constantly and I was listening to it. Non I mean, I thought it was flawless when it came out. I mean, from start to finish, every song, not only every song, but the order of the songs, mm -hmm. everything flowed so perfectly from one song to the next. I agree. that I, though You said that, you stated that perfectly because it's almost, with the exception of um, But Not, but not Tonight. tonight. <laughs> I, I feel like But Not Tonight is from the... Um, construction time again yes. sessions. It's still that choppy, like mm -hmm. very simple. It's um, it's if if there is a synth pop song on that album, it's that. It, song. It's the final one. Yeah, I still like that song. But I'm, yes, yeah, not, not going to argue. It's it's still great. Right. But uh, you said that they flow together to the point where it almost sounds like one song. Right. Me. There's it's so cohesive. It's, it's not exactly a concept album, but but it almost is. Right. And I think with you know countless hours of listening, I I could, you know. I could definitely wrap my head around that for right. sure. <laughs> um, and I came at it, you know, I know you, you said you came at Yazoo first. I, you know, I, I remember hearing Yazoo, but I had already been a fan of Depeche Mode really since Speak and Spell came out. But I was turned on to Yazoo at Waterloo Records because I, I used to hang out there every day, basically after school, the original location. And Lewis Carp, who was the original owner of Waterloo, would just be, hey, hey, Jeff, you need to listen to this. And he would just hand me a stack of records to listen to. And that, that was how I discovered Yazoo because I didn't know. I knew Vince Clark had left Depeche Mode, but I didn't know he had moved on to something else. But anyway, I digress. No, no, it's, it's, it's valid. Uh, he, Vince Clark was a huge part of them early on and this and black celebration was the first one where they kind of they started that those it's first of four albums mm -hmm. you know it's black celebration 
music for the masses, Violator, and Songs of Faith and Devotion. Right. That's that's their peak. Their pinnacle, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I saw them on the Songs of Faith and Devotion tour and begrudgingly didn't <laughs> get to see them on the Violator tour. And I saw them on the Black Celebration tour. The only time I've ever seen them, which is kind of sad, uh, but it was like just a fantastic show. I've watched actually some videos um, from recordings of those shows in, in 86 for the for that tour. And they was really awesome, you know. They started with the song Black Celebration, which yeah. is a good way to start the show. Definitely. It, it's a nice intro. It's, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and David Gahan was definitely in ill-fitting suits. They were uh, <laughs> they were almost the 80s version of a zoot suit. Uh-huh. Huge shoulder pads. Very wedge-shaped. But, but, then, but then later he went the rock star route and started going shirtless. But uh, of course, yeah. Not, he can pull that off better than I can. Yeah, right? definitely. Definitely at my age and your age, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's listen to the first song, which is um, Black Celebration, the, the title track. And um, yeah, let's give it a listen. It is. The, it's perfect. The perfect opening track. It was also the opening song of the night uh, when I saw them on that tour, too. It just makes for like the, the, the tension of the, the initial sounds and noises that you're hearing. And then that little that little kind of xylophone-like keyboard sound that kind of vaguely starts coming in and gets louder. And it was also the first time I'd ever heard Depeche Mode use a a drum sound that wasn't an obvious drum machine. I know they still used a drum machine on this this album, but it wasn't that typical kind of very obvious drum machine sound like they'd used on their earlier records. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, there's clearly an evolution of sound. and I think Alan Wilder probably had a little hand oh, had in that. a lot you know, to do with that, so. I bet. But um, I think it's definitely setting the tone for the rest of the album. I remember playing the CD. I got a CD player probably in 88. And this, this and Excess Kick, um, Joshua Tree, and Erasure Wild. Those were the first four CDs that I bought. Wow. And um, Dead or Alive, I think, was the, one of the first CDs I bought. Quake? Uh, no, the, uh, whatever, whatever brand new lovers on. All right. Nice. That, that was the first CD I bought. <laughs> and Kraftwerk, uh, the, um, the one that came after Computer World that had like, uh, Boing Pung Chuck and those songs. Autobahn? Electric Cafe, maybe? Mm. I think that was, those are the first two CDs I bought. So once, once I introduced CDs into the mix and got rid of the tapes, the Walkman, I, I would have to dub songs and make mixtapes. But once those got into the mix, there was some more monitoring I had to, I had to deal with with my parents. I, <laughs> I remember um, I was listening to this for the umpteenth time and my mom opened the door and she's like, are you okay? Are you sad? Are with you Black Celebration? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, and I'm, of course, you know, not dressed all got that. I don't have a black turtleneck. I'm just, you know, wearing a plaid shirt like the prep that I was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and... And see, I had the opposite experience with my mom because I did dress kind of punk, new wave, mm-hmm. weird, not not really any one particular category, but I dressed oddly. And my brother dressed very preppy. He was the one doing drugs and alcohol. I was completely straight edge. But my mom made a lot of assumptions based on my appearance yeah. uh, that used to really frustrate me. And I, and I knew what my brother was doing. I didn't, but I didn't want to like rat on him. Yeah. So. Uh, 
but good yeah, brother. You're a good brother. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't want to rat on him, but like, I remember feeling like, well, why are you judging me based on my appearance? Because I did like, I had, I was dyeing my hair probably by junior year of high school and wearing weird clothes and got my ear pierced on one side, so look like a pirate. Yar. Ar. <laughs> That's great. Um, where did you see the show? It was at a long gone place here in Austin called the City Coliseum. It was down basically where Riverside and Barton Springs Road kind of basically intersect near the Lamar Street Bridge. Uh, saw lots of good shows there. I uh, saw New Order there. I saw Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Uh, I saw The Arrhythmics there. Uh, many good shows over the years, but you know it's been gone probably thirty years now, at least twenty five years maybe. Um, and you know it was a medium sized place. It, you know probably a thousand people maybe. Not certainly not like Frank Irwin's size. You know huge stadium or anything like that. So, you know, I was probably 50 feet from the front of the stage. It was mostly a general admission, but there were kind of concrete bleachers on the sides. The, the building was ancient. It was probably built in the 40s or 50s. Oh, wow. Something like that. Um, and um, I just remember, yeah, the, the lights went completely black. You started hearing the opening strains of Black Celebration. Couldn't see the band or anything like that. You just heard this sound and it was, you know, it was getting louder and building and then, you know, then that first like kind of snare hit comes in and then that's when kind of when the lights kicked on and, you know, the show was just kind of golden from that point forward. That sounds so awesome. <laughs> so sad and so awesome. <laughs> Very sad. Oh, so sad. Sad to be old like us. <laughs> so, so sad. Um... Well, I, you know, I was in my research. I uh, I read that Trent Reznor saw them on that tour, and it was a big inspiration for Pretty Hate Machine. And once he said that, <laughs> uh, yeah, once once he said that, things kind of clicked. Um, New dress reminds me of a of a uh, song off a of Pretty Hate Machine. Mm -hmm. um, which is the other one? Stripped would probably Stripped be very is, much yeah, so. for sure. Especially the jarring. And then it was the first time I remember hearing like like sound effects, samples, because there's that car starting sound. <clears throat> you know, the first time I remember hearing sound effects in songs that didn't sound cheesy. Mm -hmm. They weren't like, you know, orchestral hits like, you know, some of the cheesier bands used to use. It was a layer of sound like... And they're using it in a very musical way. It was like that was the first time I ever remember hearing that. And of course, Nine Inch Nails, you know, took that to another level a few years later. But. Oh yeah, and uh, was it um, Dressed in Black? That thumpy intro mm -hmm. uh, reminds me a lot of something off of. Yeah, no, I can definitely see where where Trent Reznor liked this album for sure, and um, I'm sure Al Jorgensen did too. Oh, for sure. Well, also, um, With Sympathy is one of my favorite records that I, I have yet to find, <laughs> which is the early ministry stuff that's very oh, simple. I have that on vinyl. Oh, nice. I'm going to check if we could do that I, one, too. I'm sure that, I'm sure that we'll have a... <laughs> uh, we'll hear that many times from you. Because your, your, you know, your 80s stuff is... You know, you got some good, good things. Well, there. and I've, lo I've lost a lot of records over the years, too. But I've managed to... And, and I've had cats that came along and scratched at them, which... Drove me insane. Oh, so, <laughs> but yeah, I've managed to hold on to a few. That's awesome. Well, um, the next song is "Fly on the Windscreen," um, and we're gonna play a quick clip of that. 
So the next track is Question of Lust, which, you know, th this just kind of reminds me, I feel like I made out a lot to this album <laughs> in my teenage years. You know, it was one of those, you know, I, uh, you know, we're talking 90, 89, 90. It's not like you're going to put on Bobby Brown or... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some new addition, some Mr. New addition. Mr. Telephone Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, you know, some Johnny Gill. Yeah. But uh, this was definitely like, I'm cool and edgy. Yeah. Kiss me. Um, <laughs> and so I, this, this, I feel like this album has been, you know, the soundtrack to a lot of um, lovemaking. Mm -hmm. um, and that song in particular, I feel like, was a natural kind of the natural evolution of the song Somebody that had mm -hmm. come the, the previous album where Vince Clark, or not Vince Clark, was Martin Gore was experimenting with more of like just a piano kind of ballad. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, and Somebody was, you know, almost purely just him and piano. And then this one, you know, had some additional synth sounds and stuff kind of Yeah, minus the whale sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the whale sounds? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Or Wookiees. Maybe it Wookiees. Wookiees, perhaps. Ewoks, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel, I feel like he did that song probably was like really worried about it. Like, oh my gosh, how are our fans going to take a piano ballad from Depeche Mode? And then it was obviously a big success. So he felt co more comfortable doing that. And then there's a song on music for the masses, the album after this, where it, that's kind of like that too. But I definitely, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, I feel like, um, we go into sometimes... A question of lust sometimes, and it doesn't matter. And it's like this three-song, mellow, mm -hmm. kind of little stretch where, you know, you kind of, if, on upon first lesson, you don't really know what's coming up next. And I feel like once those three songs are done, they, they kind of move right into some of the major, <laughs> major high-water marks for me as far as... Um, well, because the tension was so thick on the first couple of songs, mm -hmm. like there's just that atmosphere. It's you know, and, and there just a tension, a darkness to the sound, and then they kind of you know they they let up on that a little bit for the next three songs. Yeah, so it, like it goes um, after question of lust. They do sometimes it doesn't matter. A question of time, and those those three are definitely mellow. And then they go into stripped, which I think is. The best My favorite song, song yeah. It's the best song on the yeah, album. I agree. Um, let's listen to that. All right. So, yeah. Strips, come on. That's best, best song on the album. I yeah, and I feel like this this song, if you if you really take this into consideration as far as the rest of their catalog, if you consider the rest of it, this feels like it really set the tone. For the rest of, obviously that we said that about the album, but this song in particular, mm -hmm. you know, there's, um, it's really sexual. It's really dark. It's got the driving beat. You know, it remind, it feels like it could have been on Violator, which is two albums yeah. away. And it, it does have a driving beat, but the, yet the drums don't actually kick in for like at least a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you you got that car sound start at the beginning and the kind of very sparse, very you know, we're used to kind of a, a very lush oral landscape if I can sound that pretentious and but that this song kind of opens up very sparsely very kind of bare bones and then it just kind of builds slowly both the layers and the tension I agree and I think that the the driving um, 
Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those songs that if you, at the time, had friends who were ridiculing you for listening to Depeche Mode and were more into I did rock, have those friends. Rock, or, yeah, <laughs> rock oriented music, especially the stuff at the time, if you played them this song, I feel like it would be accessible to someone who had right. more of a, a rock ear. Because that almost sounds like guitar. <laughs> well, they do use guitars. No, they, they definitely yeah, they, do. And they process them to the nth degree. But, right. Um, yeah, definitely. Stripped is, is one of my favorites. And like we said before, um, this this kind of influenced Trent Reznor and helped make Pretty Hate Machine happen oh, not too far down the road. Yeah. But um, what else? Um, Here is the House would be the next would be the next track. Um, so we've, you know, we've gone from those three mellow ones to stripped and into here's the house, which is a, um, a ballad, basically a ballad. Yeah. Um, a bit more conventional. Um, yeah. If, if, you know, if I think every song on this album is great, but if, if there's any song that's a little forgettable, it might be this one, but every song on this album is really, really good. It's just some are better than others. I think. And it's tough to follow stri uh, stripped. Yeah, I, I feel like um, I feel like as far as track listing and stuff like that, they hit all the marks and they're it's great and the pacing's great. But if I could, um, if I could, if I thought maybe a weak song or just one that would like seem a little out of place because of it being feeling like it was kind of conventional, mm -hmm. it would definitely be that. Um, and then World Full of Nothing, which is another sweet uh -huh. uh, Martin Gore ballad. Right. Um, which, you know, that poor lovelorn man. Like, what? A, who, whoever hurt him, I want to thank them, but curse them. <laughs> <laughs> He's given us so many good things, that poor sad chap. Um, and it's great. Uh, you know, I, I love it. Um, and I mean, well, it, well, you know, it wasn't Morrissey. Right. It was not Morrissey, thank God. Um, and no mention of uh, protein, meat protein. Oh. Um, dressed in black. Yes. Tell me your thoughts on that. Um, I, it's a weird song. Like it's, it's so unconventional. But I've always loved that song. Um, and, and in fact, I find myself... You know, I, my oldest daughter is kind of goth for lack of a better term and 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 wears mostly black and so I, I find myself singing that song to her on a somewhat regular basis when she comes downstairs oh, yeah. well, I mean, the like strings that. and the just like oh yeah yeah i mean no. I, I feel like um i feel like almost like you would just be laying there dressed in black floating adrift in an ocean staring up at the sky <laughs> you know just like uh and, and I, I think back too, though, like, you know, when I, 86, 87, when this album was out and, and I think it was 87 when I saw them on this tour, but 86 when the album came out, too, you know, that was heading into my era of when I was, you know, mostly wearing black clothing, too. So I, I, I resonated with the idea of, of wearing a lot of black clothing. But uh, should we listen to this one? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to play that one real quick and we'll be back. All right, we're back. Um, the next track is New Dress, mm -hmm. which is definitely one of the memorable tracks for me. Um, I just remember being like, what did he, did he, 
Did he say Princess Dives wearing a new dress? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember say? being really confused by it until I kind of dug deeper into the lyrics as a whole. But yeah, it seemed weird for them to be singing about Princess Diana. Absolutely. What do you think the song is about? I mean, I, I, it took me a while at the time when the album came out to really understand it. But I, I think he, it, basically I, I saw it as a criticism of the media mm. that there's all these serious things going on in the world and yet the media would just rather focus on tabloid style like, oh my gosh, Princess Di's got a new dress yeah. instead of focusing on world hunger or war, violence against women and children or all these other more serious issues that were getting shoved to the wayside in favor of, you know, basically stupid things that don't really aren't important in the grand scheme of things i agree yeah i think that's definitely um and i'd like to say that ended <clears> in the <throat> 80s but no <laughs> no, no it's <laughs> it's only gotten worse right i mean i'm standing in the checkout line at at the grocery store oftentimes i thought in my head about i wish i could just get stickers made that said we give zero fucks <laughs> And when I'm just standing in line, just like peel them off and slap, slap them, on. them on there, yeah. yeah. Um, like I see, if I see one more magazine at the check stands talking about how Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston have gotten back together again, but honestly, the the bulk of it isn't that anymore. It's these like D list reality stars, yeah, who I have no I idea who these know. people are. No, I've no, and nor do I want to. No, I, I, I couldn't care less. You know, <laughs> you know, like oh, they died in a fire. Huh. Cool. <laughs> I don't even know who they are. No, no positive impact on the universe. No. Um. So yeah. Um. Did we listen to a new dress? Uh. We no. We should. I think we should. All right. We're gonna do that. Okay. Um. The next song is, but not tonight. And I think that if anyone's listening, <laughs> we'll go ahead and play it just so that we can kind of get perspective. Mm -hmm. So we'll go ahead and play that now. All right. But Not Tonight has to be, I think we both agree that it's, it's the song that seems most out of place on the album. It doesn't seem like it's from the same sessions, like even... Even maybe it's from um, Construction Time Again. Mm -hmm. you know? I, mean, I love the song, and I do think it's a great way to end the album, but this entire album, with the exception of this song, was such a departure from their synth-pop roots. And if there's one song on this album that kind of harks back to that synth-pop era, it's definitely this song. It's much more straightforward in terms of the songwriting, the arranging, the sounds they're using. Uh, for the most part, this album is completely unique. The synthesizer sounds don't sound like any factory patches on any synthesizer. They were all created especially for these songs. The songs drip with atmosphere and, and tension. And, and, where, and then this song comes along seemingly out of nowhere, and with, it's just very straightforward. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I, I love the song, but it's very different than the rest of the album, clearly. Absolutely, it feels like it's from a different um, <laughs> from a different ses uh -huh. session, an earlier session. It feels like earlier material. Right, um, could unlike, have been a B side to like People or People or something. Oh, absolutely, or, yeah. um, I feel like it's the rest of the album set the tone for the next four albums, uh, which is their peak output and best um, 
best as far as the band is considered. Um, but also, it it does feel a little out of place, and but I still love it. It's a yeah, great song. It's a great song. Um, and you know, it's it's still it's it's definitely lighter, a little more airy, mm-hmm. definitely poppy, and it's not so. Yeah, dark. I feel like the melodies are pretty straightforward. The mm-hmm. synth sounds are straightforward. The lyrics are straightforward. Every you know everything about it is 180 degrees from the rest of this album. But it still works. It's somehow. still Depeche Mode. It's still Depeche Mode. You know, even at their worst, they're still great. Oh, yeah. um, and not, I'm not at all saying this song is bad by any means. I really, you know, I would put this song easily in my top twenty Depeche Mode songs, uh, and I do feel like it's a good way to close out the record. But it was it was an interesting choice. I'd love to pick their brains and hear their thoughts on writing and recording this song and why they chose it to be the final song of the album. I am, um, yeah. I, incl- I as far as as far as the so as far as this album goes and the lore of fandom for Depeche Mode fans, what do you where do you put it at? I mean, it's still to this day my favorite album. It is your favorite album. I, I would put Black Celebration in the number one slot. I mean, there's so many that I like. Let's do the top five. Top five favorite. Top DM. five. All right. Or uh, top four. Top yeah. three. Top three. three. Okay. Let's three. I, I, I three can live with three. Yeah, I can yeah. live with three. Um, I would put Black Celebration first. I would probably put Speak and Spell second, almost more for the nostalgia of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I bought that album on cassette when it came out, basically. And that was my first foray into synth pop, really. Yeah. I think I knew who Kraftwerk were. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, it was my, you know, I prior to that, I'd just been purely into kind of punk and new wave, and that was my first, you know, glimpse into this new upcoming world of like new romantic and new post-punk. wave. Post punk? Yeah, post punk, you know. So, so it opened, you know, I knew The Cure prior to that too, but they were the first really synth heavy band. So I would put Speak and Spell number two. Number three, I would probably lean towards Music for the Masses. That's so good. Yeah, that was. Definitely on my list, for sure. But what are your top three? Top three? I mean, it's probably... I'm sure anyone who listens to this who is a huge fan of Depeche Mode... Will disagree will with us on everything. Completely will scoff at my list as some, like, <laughs> noob, you know. Um, but I feel like... Let's see. Number one, Violator, because I just played it, yeah. it so much. Just as much as all, as all these other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Celebration at number two. And number three is Music for the Masses. All right. For sure. It's a solid list. Yeah. And then, like, I would say probably Speak and Spell, Construction Time Again, and um, Songs of Faith and Devotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel, I feel like Speak and Spell, they, they were... They were rock solid on their vision for what they wanted. And I feel like they were on Black Celebration. The, everything in between, I feel like, was a transitional period. Like, mm-hmm. there's some great songs that came out of those periods, but they, it wasn't cohesive as a whole. And, and I really feel like Black Celebration solidified their vision of who they were and what kind of music they wanted to make. And they've yeah. been that way with Vince Clark on the first album. And then I think they were searching for what that was the next few albums until Black Celebration rolled around. Yeah, I would put Construction Time again as like a transition album. Yeah. And I, I kind of break them up into 
four periods, like the initial period, the start, yeah. which kind of ends at construction time. Um, then I, you know, the peak, the peak, like the bulk of their touring concert songs mm -hmm. that they, that make up their set list are formed between 86 and 93. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, like the post Alan Wilder, cause he left after songs of faith, faith and devotion, yeah. devotion. Apparently he, there, it was acrimonious and he just, he was always treated as some sort of independent contractor. Right. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't an original member and, um, oops, that was a cat. Um, <laughs> he wasn't, he was never treated as an original member. He was, right. he, he's, I, 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 they saw him as a hired gun. Right. To just, you know, you're a workhorse. You're just going to play the synth parts that we tell you to play. And the reality was, I think his contributions went so much deeper than that. I feel like he's David Gilmore. Mm. Because the, the bulk of the most beloved part of their catalog involved him. Right. Um, obviously, he doesn't retain the Depeche Mode name right. and tour under it because uh, what he's making now is not. Pink Floyd music. It's, yeah, and I don't think he gets the proper credit he deserves, either from the fans or the band. Agreed. Um, yeah, he's definitely an unsung hero that, in a lot of ways, was responsible for taking them from this kind of, you know, teeny bopper synth pop band mm -hmm. into something more serious, more substantive. And definitely a more artistic and yeah. having more complexity. And I, I wish he got the full credit that I think he deserves. Yeah, I, I watched a couple of interviews with him, and they it was it was filmed in London in like two thousand eight, and he he's literally sitting at a table um, in an apartment, like the city is behind him, and someone's interviewing and asking questions, and and the the format of it was they had their phone, and they were streaming, they would play snippets of songs on a small speaker. And he would give his thoughts on it. So they, mm. they talked. There was like a Gang of Four song. And there was a um, Kraftwerk and uh, Netzareb and just all these different things. And then the last four songs were um, Depeche Mode songs. And there's like this like, it, it wasn't anger. It was more it's just sadness on his face. Oh. Just kind of, um, which was really telling. Uh, they discussed... Obviously, songs that he played on, probably. Three songs. And he talked about how, I think it was Condemnation off, off of um, Songs, of, songs faith. of Faith and Devotion. And I think he said that that was one of his favorites. Hmm. Um, they talked about, you know, a couple of, you know, uh, peak tracks. But then they talked about the song um, off of Ultra... Barrel of a Gun. Uh -huh. He yeah. said he liked it. Um, he really liked the track. And, you know, he was very measured in his responses. but And he was very gracious. But it was clear that he was very sad. And, and, and it's really too bad that it didn't work out. Because I, my interest in them just was a slow slide. You right. know? And I tried to listen to Delta Machine, which was released in 2013. A lot of people said that it was a return to form. Um, and listening to it, I think the bulk of my issue with them is the, the arrangements and the instruments. And I, I don't need anything antiquated for them to light up. Let's go back to the old days, boys. Let's get that beat sequencer out and right. go to town. But 
it's just it's just not there. There's no hooks. Like the thing about with with Alan Wilder's contribution is that they're more complex. They're beautiful. You know, they're 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 elegant, but they're all there's also hooks. I mean, right. if you listen to Policy of Truth, that's one of the ones on Violator that I just like would just kill my eardrums with, as far as. Um, with the headphones because uh, I'm pretty sure it reduced my hearing <laughs> simply because of that one track. But, um, and, and speaking of interviews, this brings up an interesting point. Not that it really has anything to do with black celebration, but in the late eighties, I interviewed Vince Clark for a now long defunct, uh, Austin underground magazine. Of course, at the time he was with erasure and it was one of the worst, it was one of the worst interviews uh, I've, not that I've done a lot of interviews, but it was one of the worst interviews I've ever done. Uh, first of all, he, he, there were a lot of ground rules about things that I, I could not bring up Yazoo. I could not bring up Depeche Mode. I could not bring up any of the members of those bands. I could not mention any of those songs. I could only talk about Erasure. Uh, and then every answer he gave was either yes or no, and it was mumbled very quietly uh, where I could barely even hear what he said, but he never, he never said anything more than yes or no to any question I asked him. It was like watching paint dry. It was, the, it was just that exciting. And I loved his work at the time. You know, I loved... What year that, is this? This is probably 87, 88, maybe 89 oh, yeah. at the latest. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, but I loved, you know, his contributions to Depeche Mode. I loved Yazoo especially. Uh, I loved Erasure. Like, I loved who he was. And it was just, it was really sad for me that, you know, <laughs> there were so many questions I wanted to ask that I was not allowed to ask. And that, you know, and then he was, it was such a boring interview. Like it took a lot of work. You know, it, this was a written, what I produced was a written transcript of the interview basically. And so it took a lot of work to fluff that out to where it was halfway <laughs> decent to read in print. But uh, anyway, just you mentioning the interview brought that memory up. Well, I think that if you, if someone were betting on long-term success, when Vince Clark left Depeche Mode and then formed Yazoo, you would have bet put all your money on Vince Clark. Put oh, all the chips in absolutely. there. Absolutely. I mean, you would have. Yeah. I mean, he wrote all but two songs off of Speak and Spell, and and the two that Martin Gore wrote, one of them was an instrumental. So there was no indication that they were they were going to survive, much less thrive after he left. Yeah. I, no I mean, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is right. Know, which I always love to say about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there's nothing less rock and roll than the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> That's absolutely, that absolutely the And antithesis. there's so many good bands that should be in there that aren't. <laughs> right. And, and I think that when people say that they care about it, they're being respectful. But I just don't think that any artist should care about joining those ranks. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's an honor, and in the end, like why be a curmudgeon and say, yeah, this doesn't mean anything? <laughs> but it definitely is just you no. Know. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't even know what it means, but yeah. There's... But they've had longevity that, and granted, they've had a lot of influence. But I think that Yazoo had upstairs at Eric's is you know one of those it's influential albums, still a classic album. Definitely, it just created it created something, and. Um, yeah, but in closing, as far as I'm concerned, Black Celebration is just, it's synth pop, but it's still, there's some goth action in there, man, and it is so dark and so beautiful, and I love it. And it holds up, you know, it doesn't, absolutely. You, there are certain records that I, I still love, and I, but I put them on and they instantly sound dated. Mm -hmm. The sounds, the production, the effects, 
you know, it just sounds dated and not really in a good way. Uh, where, but I think this album just holds up. It sounds pristine. It sounds really, really good. And it doesn't sound dated, uh, the production or anything, any other aspect about it. It just, it really holds up over the years.